Well, Lisa, you know, uh, it's triathletes Super Bowl season at this point. It's time for Kona. Um, we've had, what, at least one year where it was not in Kona, but we still called it Kona, right? Mm-hmm. So um, Kona is coming up. Uh, we have slots for pro women, 50 slots. We have two days where women and older men are racing, which we can get into later. Um, And, you know, I thought that was so interesting when I started looking at some of the breakdown of this year's very unique, hopefully post-pandemic Kona, that we're now getting into a place where we can talk about, as we usually do, whiteness, um, but also to talk about perfectionism. It's something that's been popping up over and over again in my work and how you know, these athletes are looking for the perfect race on the most important day of their year. And so what does that mean when it comes to inclusion, representation? What does that mean exactly? So I think Kona is a great time to talk about perfectionism and and what athletes are expecting and what we should be expecting as DI practitioners. I think it's a great topic for conversation and I have nothing more to add to that. So let's go ahead and get started. I'm Dr. Shauna Payne-Gold, and I go by she, her, her pronouns. And I'm Dr. Lisa Ingefield, and I go by she, her, hers. Welcome to Unfazed, a podcast to disrupt your normal and challenge your brain to go the distance. Whether you're competing in a triathlon or swimming to challenge yourself, Orca has fit-for-purpose swimwear designed to meet your needs. Innovation has always been part of Orca's DNA, and when it came to the development of their new triathlon wetsuits, a wide range of skill levels and different types of triathletes were taken into account. Whether you're looking for maximum flexibility, maximum buoyancy, or somewhere in between, Orca wetsuits are designed to help you achieve better performance in the water. It is performance made simple. For 15% off all items at orca.com, use the code IRONWOMEN15. Whether you run, ride, hike, or swim, you understand what it means to push harder, reach farther, and go the extra mile. This relentless drive runs in your blood. That's why Inside Tracker provides you with a personalized plan to build endurance, boost energy, and optimize your health for the long haul. Created by leading scientists in aging genetics and biometrics, Inside Tracker analyzes your blood, DNA, and fitness tracking data to identify where you're optimized and where you're not. I love the meal recommendations that come with the analysis. It prompted me to add salmon into my meal rotations, and I am loving it. For a limited time, you can get 20% off the entire Inside Tracker store. Just go to insidetracker.com forward slash feisty. That's insidetracker.com forward slash feisty, and then use the code feisty at checkout. So Lisa, I have to admit when the first rumblings around advocating for 50 women's pro women slots at Kona started happening. Part of me was like, huh? Like, you know, it was kind of like the floppy dog eared look like, wait a minute, what? We don't already have equal slots. What the heck is going on here? Right. And so first of all, I, I felt kind of ridiculous for being so entrenched in triathlon and not knowing that we didn't have equal slots. But then the next step was, 
this should be common sense. Why is it not common? And who set these rules to begin with, right? So you know us, we're systems thinkers. We're not only thinking about how raggedy the rule is, but also who are the raggedy folks that set the rule thinking that this was okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I remember those conversations and reading and I'm thinking, why is this such a big deal to create equal slots? This should have been a no-brainer, but clearly someone who set the rules were not thinking about people like you and I, Lisa, right? Right, exactly. And, you know, 2022, it finally happens and it took a pandemic and a whole lot of bad publicity and several folks pushing on the system for several years. Um, you know, I don't know that the change is because it's the right thing to do as much as it is advantageous financially, perhaps. Maybe I'm being too cynical, but you know, this is where, you know, whiteness and maleness rule, right? Because they're the folks mm -hmm. who set the rules and they're the folks who've been in charge of Iron Man for eons. So that's right. That's right. You know. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, you know, it, you're making me think too about how, you know, someone set these rules and thought it was okay and let it rip for many, many years over what, over 40 years. Um, and so given that, you know, that's what I think is interesting is that why did it take so long for someone to say, hey, this is not right or, hey, this is not equal or who made these rules? And so, you know, I think it's interesting that someone had to bring this to their attention for it to happen. And then all of a sudden, not only did it, you know, it sounds like a forcing of the hand, if you will, but it unfortunately had to be the perfect storm for it to happen. So like if we right. did a rewind prior to the pandemic, would any of this have happened if all of this yeah. bad publicity, yeah. you know, other things have happened? I'm not sure. So, and I think we've talked a little bit about, you know, are you running towards diversity, equity, inclusion, representation, or are you falling forward into it and you just happen to find yourself landing yeah. in the right place? Eh. Yeah, we've definitely had that conversation. I do feel like, um, I think we actually had the conversation in relation to Iron Man too, and that they were more of a trip or a fall or a shove um, mm -hmm. versus mm -hmm. kind of a, a voluntary step forward into the right. But it is interesting when you think about perfection, because mm -hmm. in the case of Iron Man and in in early iterations of the Olympics and other sporting events where women were not allowed, um, that's not true for triathlon. I'm not saying that women were not allowed. I'm kind of just thinking about either women were excluded or made invisible or you know not were an afterthought. Therefore, the structure of those events, the structure of those systems, was created by and for men, predominantly white men. So then as we think about sport as a whole, what it means to be perfect or have a perfect time or a perfect race or be a perfect athlete has evolved from that construction, right? Oh, yes. We've definitely talked about kind of this mm -hmm. masculine centering in sport mm -hmm. and kind of the how a lot of sport evolved kind of demonstrate or um, – elevate men's prowess and strength but yes, in that that's yes. not the same as perfection right, and so I'm just right. thinking about that so then how does how do women um non-binary folks trans folks folks of color like how do they then access a concept a behavior a performance 
of perfection that was defined without them in mind? Oh, defined without them in mind. That I, I want to put that on a big billboard in Kona, underline, blinking lights. Um, because, you know, because I just feel like that has been, in my humble opinion, my personal uphill battle with all things endurance sport and triathlon, right? Where it's, because it used to be this concept of perfectionism is, you know, eating all the right things, hitting all your training marks, your benchmarks, your goals and so forth, and having the perfect race day and knowing that there's so many things that are completely out of a human being's control, whether it's the weather, whether it's your your GI system, whatever it is, your the tires on your bike, God forbid, you know, all those things that are out of your control. And, you know, that's where I think things get so interesting when it leads to speed, because it, in my mind, when I first started in triathlon and even just endurance sport in general, when it came to marathons and so forth, was that speed or time was the quote unquote ultimate predictor of the perfect race or the perfect training block or the perfect right, whatever. Right. And that's when I had, I really had a very personal knockdown drag out argument with a friend of mine around that, because I, I am a, I don't like to predict fast or slow. I know some people feel, you know, getting their feelings concerning that, but give you an example. My very first 70.3, I was so afraid of DNFing on that day, but I had my perfect swim, my perfect bike, my perfect run, my perfect nutrition. And it was a gorgeous day, of course, that I cannot control. And my bike had no mechanicals on and on and on with all the things that went right. And no, Shauna's still never going to get a five hour anything or a six hour anything on a 70.3. I had a lovely 812 that I am still proud of to this day because my goal had nothing to do with time. It had everything to do with celebrating the months of training that I did just to get to the start line with a household, with kids, with a full-time job, going to workouts at four or 5.30 in the morning, me completely finishing at, as my training partner said at the time, by 829.59 was the goal. Anything better than that was wonderful, but the goal was not speed. And usually the retort or the defensiveness is, oh, well, you know, slow people say that. So of course you're not going to focus on time. I have very fast friends that don't focus on time relatively fast because, you know, speed is relative. And those folks also say, I do it for the enjoyment. I do it for the people that I meet on the course. I do it for the weather. I do it to combat depression or, you know, all these other things. And so to me, I'm like, are you like the fun police? Like perfectionism feels like it's sucking all the fun out of what we do. And so if you have to be perfect, which none of us are, then why do it? I don't want to do it if somebody's requiring me to be perfect. That takes the fun out of it, the stories out of it, right. the resilience out of it. I, I don't know. I just, perfectionism for me takes all the fun out of it. But again, it comes back to how one defines perfectionism because you just described a perfect race, right? You're 812. Um, mm-hmm. But culturally, that is not 
the mainstream understanding of perfect, right? To your point, it is absolutely woven together primarily with speed and strength. Um, and I think that we need to question that just in general, but we also need to question why has why is perfect performance, quote unquote, tied to a very specific type of performance? And I think that that is because of whiteness and maleness, right? Yes, yes, yes. Well, you know, it's the, well, remember, I mean, think about the origins as it's been reported to us, the origins of Iron Man. It was, you know, a a swimmer, a cyclist, and a runner wanted to get together and see who was the best athlete. And that best, quote unquote, was based on time. And that's it. And I'm thinking to myself, "Mm, nah, I think the best athlete is the person that finishes and they finish with their values intact. They finish with their loved ones still loving them. (laughs) So much time to train. I mean, you know, there's so many other values outside of time that I'm like, of course, because that's the history of Ironman. It's been based off of time as the primary value, time and strength as the primary value. And now you have people who no, they're not basing it on time or or any of that. Um, friends of mine who are now legacies where they competed and they finished 12 Ironmans regardless of the time without, quote unquote, qualifying as an age grouper to then make their way to Kona because the goal was not faster time. The goal was to be at the world championship no matter what. And so their value sets are completely different. So I'm I'm thinking of one friend of mine right now who, you know, finished the 12 that's required to enter as a legacy to Kona. And the majority of those 12s were literally crossing the finish line seconds before DNF cutoff. Why? Because this person wanted to have fun. They wanted to meet new people on the course. They wanted to take in the entire experience. And if Kona worked out for them, then great. But they didn't let like I used to say, they didn't let a clock chase them down the street during training. <laughs> they just didn't, they didn't allow that ha- to happen. And I'm wondering how many people got to really enjoy being a triathlete because they didn't base it on time. They based it on other values. Yeah. And I definitely think that that is not necessary. Like in the middle of the bell curve, you do not have a bunch of people thinking about perfection as an adherence to their values, right? Or their ability to have fun as defining a perfect training block or a a perfect race. Um, And that's the, the industry promotes that not only from its beginning, right? So it's kind of embedded in fabric, but the industry itself you know, promotes that way of thinking because there's this, you know, this tri suit or this swimsuit or this bike helmet or these running shoes that will like shave time, time, time off. Right. And that will get you the perfect race. If you just do this thing or wear this item. Um, But I, you know, thinking about who has access who has access to that when we define perfection, the perfect race, the perfect body, the perfect anything in such a narrow way, when we culturally define it that way, then there's very few people that have access to that. Um, it kind of makes me think about those personality 
assessments, one in particular strengths finder that listeners might be familiar with, you know, if you take the assessment kind of out of culture and it's just this abstract assessment where you understand what your strengths are, great, right? Then you know that you have a strength in learning or you have a strength in winning others over or you have a activate a strength or whatever. But it was designed to help people navigate their career and find careers and positions that were playing to their strengths. And it was designed by white folks. Um, I think the person who, you know, came up with the idea as a white man, I think he might actually be British. Um, He, you know, so then you're like, okay, who has access to that? Great. You know, that's great that someone who um, has to work three jobs, right. To keep up with their rent. um, You know, they know, they now know that their strengths are, you know, these whatever's, but they're not in a position to then just go out and find a position that speaks to that because they have necessity. So it's all around. Like, I think when we think about perfection, we think about strengths. We have to think about it in that context about who does it include and who does it exclude when we focus too heavily on kind of one general conception of those things. I'm not sure if you have a thought on that. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's the thing. If there's only one conception of it, then only one group ever meets the mark. And so everyone else, by virtue of their existence, can't meet the mark, can't even, you know, when it comes to access, they will never have access. So, you know, what does it mean to, uh, to once again, try to force oneself into a system that was never created for them, then perfection is just an exercise in frustration over and over and over again, you know, you're frustrated by not only the system, if you recognize that the system wasn't created for you from the beginning, um, you're frustrated with the system, you're frustrated with no comparable system, you're frustrated because the system may need to be completely dismantled down to the the foundation uh, for it to ever fully include you. And do you have the energy to do that? A lot of people don't. They, they don't have the energy to do that work and participate. And so, you know, given that, and, you know, I know that, uh, Lisa, on this podcast, we ask people to do something that's very difficult. We ask them to continue to be, of course, healthy by their own definition, involved in endurance sport based on their values, and do the work of social justice at the same time. Well, look, I don't know about you, but yeah, you can run a marathon, but after that, then fighting the good fight. <laughs> you're done. You know, it's like, it's asking folks to make that ultimate uh, investment, knowing that it will never be perfect and frankly shouldn't be perfect. Because I think, you know, again, that perfection fights against who we could be. And what do we discover in the imperfections, right? Like my most, uh, how can I say, my growing edges were strongest and most impactful with the races that weren't perfect and the training blocks that were raggedy and that ride that you didn't want to do when you had the flat in the first three miles of 50 and you did it anyway. So what are we learning or how are the imperfections actually benefiting us 
even as we have a cadre of privileged folks that want to continue to mm-hmm. light the fire of perfectionism. It's like, mm, I don't want to play by those rules. I don't want to play by that game. How can we recreate that? And I think a lot of right. women and people of color and non-binary folks are starting to do that by starting their own races and you know, becoming policymakers and board members and, and being some of the decision makers, um, knowing that we got a lot of, you know, a lot to do, but it's not going to happen if we don't fulfill those roles too at the same time. So yeah, I, I don't want to discount the value in the imperfections that they're inevitable as well. So but even when we say imperfection, right, we're still measuring it to against a yardstick that is created not for everyone so i'm wondering if it actually Mm. really we have to go a step further and we have to Mm. even talk about it we have to actually ditch the word perfect and imperfect and find some other way to think about performance Mm -hmm. that doesn't conjure a particular set of ideals right because even when you're you know because i hear what you're saying around sometimes the best times are in the imperfections and none of us are perfect. We are all flawed. Right. But even there's still like an, even the word flawed, right. There's still like a, there is therefore a yardstick from which we are measuring the flaws or the imperfections. And it's the yardstick that is the problem. I mean, we talk about that outside of sport with kind of beauty standards, right. At least Western beauty standards. Um, So I don't know, like, can we, rid ourselves of even the language of perfection and imperfection like is that something it, that we need to do we need more than redefine it we just need to get rid of it well you know while we're getting rid of if we do because i'm a fan of what you just said even if we got rid of the language of perfection imperfection flaw blemish what however we want to describe an imperfection even as we get rid of it, that in and of itself has been the framework of endurance sport from day one. And so when you, it's almost like saying, I want the body of endurance sport to live, but we got to get rid of the whole skeleton and replace it with something else. And that's pretty tough to do, right? So it's like, how do we do that? And, and what skeleton is most appropriate to hold this body up? Is it values? Is it actually social justice? Is it equity, you know, those things, because remember, if we go back even to the conversation we had about Kona from the beginning, it was about what's the the F word. That's a a four letter word that, yeah, we use this one too. Not that one, but fairness, fair. It's all, it always boils down to that type A athlete that says, I just want the race to be fair. Well, fair based on what? fair, usually based on white male understandings of endurance sport that have translated into what quote unquote perfect is. Well, fair has been based on one group, which is inherently unfair. So I hear your point around, you know, should we get rid of the perfect imperfection language because it's been based on a perfection that's been on one group and not on many. So given that, what do we replace it with then? This, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about with our language um, on those podcasts previously. What do we replace it with? And I'm not sure. I don't know what we replace it with. Um, but I think no. you're right. It kind of connects to that fairness piece of, you know, 
are, are we to say that the 80 year old that is the last finisher at Kona is actually the finisher because they held onto their values. They um, got to celebrate in front of their family. Maybe they're um, a strong community member where elementary school kids look up to this person. Are they truly the winner? Or is it the fastest white boy that comes across the line like it usually is? It depends on our values. Yeah, yeah. And I don't think we're going to ever change um, the focus on time and who gets who gets the crown, so to speak, with regard to that. But it is an interesting way to reevaluate. I mean, isn't this kind of how the the everyone gets a medal? <laughs> in like in youth sports kind of came around that we're not gonna you know celebrate the competition and the winning everyone participated so yay pat on the back for everyone and that Mm -hmm. has been made fun of I think right Mm -hmm. oh yeah for sure participation awards yes yeah so I don't know that it's that either right um no no definitely not like and, you know, I've definitely heard pro athletes talk about having a perfect race for them, but it wasn't a winning race, right? That everything yes, everything came together as they had wanted to, just that there were people on the day whose performance came together a little better, right? Mm, um, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So it, it yeah. feels like there's a bubbling up there of some of this, but I guess then it becomes like, you know, does does that athlete, pro or amateur, or, you know, recreational get upset at themselves because, you know, they didn't win or they didn't make the podium or, you know, even if they don't externalize that, is there something happening internally? And that's that perfection thing happening, right? Oh, yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Like, I remember when, when was it? This was, what, maybe four years ago? I can't remember when. When the men's, the pro men, had like, I think the top six all had PRs, right? So it's like, you know, the majority of them claim to have the perfect race, but they still didn't take home the crown at the very same time. Like everybody was fast that year. Um, and so, you know, given that, yeah, it's, I, I don't think we'll ever dismantle the fast, uh, <laughs> the synonymous race with fast situation here. Um, but I do think, it may be a call for us to think about what can we all do to make sure the structure is re-examined to get closer to something other than the white male type or typography of racing. And the other piece too is, frankly, I'm asking people, think about what your values are and put on kind of the, uh uh-oh, I'm using ableist language again, not blinders, focus on what your values and hold fast to that rather than holding fast to who's um, who's the quickest in your in your age group or not. What are your values? You know, if your value is uh, seeing your sibling at the finish line or, you know, whatever it is, raising money for a cause or whatever that might be, try not to be distracted by the usual uh, when it comes to the value of fast. Yeah, because that value of fast equals perfection 
is a, is a value that has been created for us, right? That's an like an external, culturally motivated value that I yes. think, I mean, I'm sure there are going to be folks listening to this who have personal values of being as fast as they can be. And I don't, I'm not <clears throat> dissing that. I'm just saying, I think it might require a little extra critique because I, that's a, that is a, value mm. that is placed upon us based on how sport competition performance has been constructed mm-hmm. right exactly exactly and so what does it mean to choose fast versus fast being forced upon us mm. that that perfectionism what if you choose to be perfect in this one area versus choosing or being forced to be perfect based on a ruler that was never created to measure you I don't know. Yeah. But then I don't think you can choose to be perfect because if without a redefinition or reimagining of what perfect means, right? Mm, yeah. Maybe the word instead of choosing is striving. Like, can can we choose not to strive for perfection and strive for other things? Right. Maybe. Right. I think we could do that. Yeah. I think we could do that too. Anyway. Okay. This was good. I've lots to think about after this conversation. So um, (laughs) let's do our hell yeah, hell no for this week. Hell yeah. Hell no. Awesome. All right. So we've got a few things going on here. I'm just going to touch base on the hell no, because it directly affected me for many, many years. (laughs) So uh, Black Women's Equal Pay Day was September 21st, depending on when you hear this podcast, um, which is not March 15th, which is the aggregate overall Women's Equal Pay Day. But let me tell you about this. I didn't know these numbers until I followed a social media uh, site. And yeah, they really broke it down for us. So as a Black woman, over a 40-year career, they can lose $9,046,120. So almost a million could be lost in a 40-year career due to inequities in pay for Black women. And now what I thought was even more interesting is, of course, this is only one of many equal pay days. So be aware of Asian American, Native Hawaiian, Pacific Islander. Women's Equal Pay Day on May 3rd, where those women are paid 75 cents for every dollar paid to white men. LGBTQIA Equal Pay Awareness Day, which is June 15th. Um, We don't have enough data to make really specific calculations, which we believe is inherently yet another problem, Um, but it does raise awareness about the wage gap for those folks. Moms Equal Pay Day, September 8th. Moms are paid 58 cents for every dollar paid to the dads. So just just think about this aggregate, this intersectionality between all of these identities at once. Uh, Black Women's Equal Pay Day, which we discussed September 21st. Native Women's Equal Pay Day, November 30th. Native women are paid 50 cents for every dollar paid to white men. And then Latinas Equal Pay Day is December 8th, Latinas are paid 49 cents for every dollar paid to white men. Lisa is over there shaking her head and I'm in full agreement um, with the head shaking. And what's really interesting, Lisa, because I know that you are the, the data methodologist, we like to see how people are crunching these numbers. 
Well, the COVID pandemic really changed the methodology for how these numbers were even uh, kind of calculated here. So instead of excluding uh, part-time and seasonal work out of those calculations, they have been included with this round, which makes the picture more full um, and more accurate. And so given that this is a more inclusive methodology that includes a cross-section of women, including the part-time seasonal workers, and to show how all these inter intersections play out. So Lisa, I hope they hold on to that methodology moving forward beyond the right, pandemic because right. it gives a, a better viewpoint, but it sucks. It sucks. I'm on year 26, 27 of my career and thinking that I could have lost that much in that period of time simply because of how I was born is sickening. It's really sickening. And, and same for you, I would imagine. Yeah. I mean, um, as a white woman, I'm doing slightly better than that, but still it's pretty bad. But I couldn't believe when you shared that stat with me for black women, that it was close to a million dollars over a 40 year career. That just blew yeah. my mind. I mean, yeah. it blew my mind and then also didn't, right? Like, I just feel like I'm constantly disappointed because mm -hmm. I constantly hope that things are different and they're not. Um, right. Right. And for folks who aren't familiar with this, what it means is, so September 21st, so Shauna would have to work an entire 12 month period plus through to September 21st of the next year, right? So one year, nine months and 21 days to earn the same as what a white man earned in a 12 month period. That's the mm -hmm. point of the equal pay day. So then when you look at the Latina equal pay day, December 8th, so they basically have to work two full years, 24 months to earn the same as what a white man would do earn doing the same job, right? Very like, same job. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, and this is going to be, this is an issue in endurance sports. So all those industry professionals, right? The same um, disparity is going to exist there. It's just a question of whether mm -hmm. you want to look for it, identify it and do something about it. Exactly. So, yeah, I agree. Massive hell no there. Um, and mm -hmm. so, okay. So our hell yeah is um, some of you may have heard of the name Tommy Smith. I know he's been mentioned on our podcast before. He is mm. um, one of the two gentlemen um, that, at the 1968 Mexico Olympics, who what they won gold and silver, and the silver medalist's name is escaping me right now, but they stood on the podium, you know, and raised their fist in the air in um, protest to the ways in which African American people were being treated back in the United States. And so there's a very iconic picture that you're probably all familiar with. Anyway, Tommy Smith has written a graphic novel called Victory Stand. And it's about his life and experiences at the 1968 Olympics. And so it's a really, really cool book um, because it's a, a fantastic story, but it's also the way it's been written in a graphic, graphic, graphic novel is really accessible for folks of all ages, particularly kids. So if you want to share a piece of really important sports history um, and you want to do it in a way that is engaging, then I would strongly encourage you checking this book out. So it's called Victory Period Stand Exclamation Point by Tommy Smith. Well, Lisa, you are not helping my stack of books over here. Let me just say I keep ordering things because such incredible things like this come out. So I'm really looking forward to this read. Unfazed, a podcast produced by Feisty Media and supported by the Outspoken Summit edited and produced by the fabulous Millie Perry. Email us at info at and find us on social media 
at Try to Defy, at Dr. Gold Speaks, or at Outspoken Women and Try. I'm Lisa. I'm Shauna. Thanks for listening. Stay unfazed, folks. See you next time.